0: Welcome to Yale Cancer Center Answers with your hosts, Drs. Francine Foss, Anish Chagpar, and Stephen Gore. Dr. Foss is a professor of medicine in the section of medical oncology at the Yale Cancer Center. Dr. Chagpar is associate professor of surgical oncology and director of the breast center at Smilo Cancer Hospital. And Dr. Gore is director of hematological malignancies at Smilo. Yale Cancer Center Answers features weekly conversations about the research, diagnosis, and treatment of cancer, and if you'd like to join the conversation, you can submit questions and comments to yale.edu, or you can leave a voicemail message at 888-234-4YCC. March is Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, and this week we continue our series on colorectal cancer. With guest host Dr. Howard Hoxter. Dr. Hoxter is Professor of Medicine and Medical Oncology, Associate Director for Clinical Sciences, and Clinical Program Leader of the Gastrointestinal Cancers Program at Yale School of Medicine. Dr. Hoxter will be speaking with Dr. Xavier Lohr. Dr. Lohr is Medical Director of the Colorectal Cancer Prevention Program and Co Director of the Cancer Genetics and Prevention Program at Yale School of Medicine. Here's Dr. Howard Hoxter. Could you tell us a little bit
1: about yourself and how you got involved in colorectal cancer and genetics of colorectal cancer?
2: Sure. So uh, I started uh, when I landed at Dr. Positis' lab at the University of Chicago. He was studying uh, molecular uh, mechanisms of colon cancer development. And uh, there I started my interest, and I continued my interest through my fellowship and my uh, and onwards onto uh, my academic career. Uh, At the same time, uh, while I was working on uh, research, I started developing my interest in clinical cancer genetics and basically taking care of uh, families who have inherited colon cancer syndrome. So both my research and my clinical interest kind of uh, merge into this uh, field of colon cancer.
1: You're, You're a gastroenterologist. Correct. So you did internal medicine training and all the training that other gastroenterologists have done, as well as your research on genetics. Correct. And uh, did you do additional training in the area of genetics as well?
2: Yeah, I I actually got a Ph.D. in uh, uh, molecular uh, uh, medicine, and it was also based on uh, colon cancer genetics.
1: Uh Okay. So um, so tell us a little bit about... The genetics of colon cancer and and what leads to colon cancer.
2: Sure. So uh, um, there uh, uh, there is a multi-stage uh, uh, process where there are several uh, uh, genes that develop mutations that uh, 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 when uh, they uh, when these uh, mutations start in falling in areas that are key in the, the uh, control of the uh, development of growth. Uh, 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 of the uh, human cells, uh, these end up developing into a cancer uh, there is a, it is a multi step process it 's a long process. So we think that colon cancer takes several years to develop even up to uh, uh, ten years and it 's the result of these different uh, uh, molecular al- alterations genetic alterations that we end up uh, developing into a cancer. This is a very uh, well-described process, but we uh, keep adding more and more uh, information as we learn more not only about the genetics, but also about what's being called the epigenetics, the modifications of the uh, uh, genetic uh, uh, information afterwards.
1: So, So we know that the DNA in the colon lining cells, what we call the epithelium of the colon, has a kind of predictable pattern of Events of mutations that lead up to the development of colon cancer.
2: Correct, and uh, and uh, there are several there are uh, several pathways uh, that end up uh, of uh, uh, molecular alterations that end up developing into colorectal cancer, and uh, and uh, these uh, um, are different phenotypes or ways of uh, cancer to developing, but many of them are actually shared by the different uh, molecular alterations we we're talking about.
1: Um, and uh, so does has that led to any um, improvements in the treatment of colon cancer or prevention of colon cancer
2: so certainly, for instance some of the uh, some of these markers are used in uh, for instance the uh, uh, stool based test. Uh, uh, for uh, uh, detection of early detection of colon cancer, some of those markers are used for that, and uh, as you all well know as an oncologist my better than myself, uh, some of these mutations KRAS mutations, for instance, uh, are being used in the uh, uh, as part of the armamentarium in terms of deciding uh, about uh, um, chemotherapeutic agents, so actually they do have uh, a role both in uh, diagnostics and also in therapeutic uh, 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 decisions.
1: So you mentioned uh, stool testing, so the FDA this year approved a test based on collecting stool and looking at the DNA for these some of these known mutations. And then there are other ways to test the stool also for blood and so forth. What? How useful are those kind of tests?
2: So I think uh, uh, there's a lot of uh, research done and uh, and quite a bit of progress. Uh, we may not be there yet in terms of uh, being those the uh, uh, method of methods of cho- of uh, choice uh, for colon cancer screening. Uh, but uh, the uh, test you mentioned, the stool-based test, is already a slight improvement uh, uh, in comparison to the uh, ones that are based on uh, uh, fecal cold blood. Uh, but probably there are more uh, more uh, improvements to be made uh, to uh, to really be a very uh, solid alternative when it comes to uh blood based studies there's a lot of uh, uh there are actually several uh, studies being performed and actually some companies with tests out there mostly based on methylation uh, or, or these uh, what we're talking about these epigenetic changes in the uh, genome that um uh, they base they their tests on. And again, those actually do need even more studies in order for us to better understand how good of an alternative they are for uh, colon cancer screening. So,
1: so previously, people used to take a little bit of stool, put it on a card, give it back to their doctor to test for blood in the stool using a chemistry test, really. And now you can send your stool, you have to pack it up, but you can send it to a laboratory that will actually look for some of these DNA mutations in the stool and therefore tell you you have to go for a colonoscopy, I guess. Exactly.
2: So it's, uh, yeah, because uh, again, what that's uh, the the ultimate diagnostic tool is colonoscopy and not only the ultimate diagnostic tool, but also the most preventive tool because through removal of polyps, that's how we prevent uh, colorectal cancer.
1: So, uh, uh, so I mean, that's a kind of a key concept I'd like to uh, reemphasize for our listeners this evening. Colonoscopy can actually prevent colon cancer if the, they find these polyps, these adenomas before it becomes cancer and it's removed at the time of colonoscopy, you won't get cancer then.
2: Exactly. That's something that only through colonoscopy uh, we can do. And and we believe that the uh, slow but steady decrease in colon cancer incidence is, in this country is mostly due to this widespread use of colonoscopy and removal of these polyps.
1: So we're already seeing in the United States today that the incidence of colon cancer has gone down about ten to 20,000 cases a year. And that seems to be the effect of people going for screening colonoscopy and Therefore, they never get colon cancer, which is obviously quite uh, a good outcome.
2: Correct. It's it's interesting also that um, um, uh, colon cancer incidents started going down in the 80s where colonoscopy was not a, as widespread as it is now. So we believe that there's also some, some uh, changes in the env- environment um, in our country that probably they were uh, pointing towards uh, incidents going down. But I think uh, from all we gather, all the numbers that we can gather, the decisive decisive uh, uh, difference has has been through uh, the uh, uh, widespread use of colonoscopy.
1: So is that due to dietary changes? Is that, uh, what influences us getting colon cancer to begin with?
2: Sure. So there are uh, probably the strongest factors in colorectal cancer uh, uh, development are more environmental and dietary than anything else. Uh, and there's been uh, study after study associating uh, um, uh, tobacco and alcohol consumption, uh, a, a high BMI or high body weight, lack of physical exercise and some particular dietary habits that have been consistently associated with colon cancer development. What's less clear is uh, how much changing these habits in a, a, in a radical way, how much you can prevent uh, colon cancer. But uh, uh, study after study have shown that actually these factors do seem to be, uh, play a very important role. And, um, and that would also be backed by those studies uh, uh, of uh, uh, migrant populations from low-incidence countries to higher-incidence countries like ours where rapidly in, in one generation the uh, population adopts the uh, frequency of uh, colon cancer than the, uh, that the local population. So certainly that to points towards that environment plays a very, very important role. So,
1: so is it what we eat or just the
2: fact that people are heavier and fatter? Uh, maybe it's everything. There are several. There's a very uh, well conducted study from the, from a large uh, uh, cohort in Europe called EPIC that they put all, together all these different factors, and actually, in a way, it seemed to add up a little bit. So, uh, the more factors of the ones that we mentioned before you have, the more the higher the chances you are you have to develop colorectal cancer. So, uh, while uh, this is not the math, it looks like probably there's some additive effects of these different. Uh, uh, deleterious uh, factors towards cancer development
1: For a while the National Cancer Institute was telling everybody to eat fiber and have a bran muffin for breakfast that doesn't seem to be around so much anymore
2: Though actually when you look at the uh, in main initiatives of the American Cancer Society lifestyle modification and uh, and all these factors seem to seem to be uh, uh, playing a very important role because they re- or uh, Um, uh, initiatives such as bringing uh, uh, fresh food to these uh, food desert areas where people do not have access to uh, fresh uh, food, that seems to be uh, uh, highly uh, uh, backed by the American Cancer Society, recognizing that the important effect of these environmental and nutritional uh, factors that are particularly worse in the uh, less less favored uh, populations in our country.
1: And, and exercise seems to be important, too. I know that uh, Dr. Melinda Irwin here in our School of Epidemiology is actually conducting some randomized trials involving exercise for colon cancer prevention.
2: It makes a lot of sense because uh, many of the epidemiological studies have shown that, that there's a clear association. So it makes sense to do these interventions and see how we can prevent colon cancer.
1: Um, And uh, so lifestyle modification can include dietary exercise, things like that. And that may actually help us bring down the incidence of colorectal cancer. But colonoscopy seems to be the key thing that can actually prevent people from progressing to actually getting colon cancer. And we can catch the disease at a time before it becomes malignant. So um, do you, can you tell us a little bit about colonoscopy?
2: Sure. So basically, colonoscopy is the, this test that's uh, done using a flexible rubber tube, size of a little finger that we put through the anus, and we look at the entire colon or large bowel. And basically what we do is we thoroughly look for, this, uh, for the presence of these polyps, which are like little growths in the mucosa. And those are the ones that can eventually develop into cancer if they are left alone. So through colonoscopy, we, re- we can remove a great deal of them. And, uh, and it's uh, through this removal of these polyps that we, the risk of colon cancer does go down dramatically.
1: So the gastroenterologist takes a scope, takes a look around the whole colon if he finds a polyp takes it out, um, that's diagnostic
2: and preventative. Exactly, because while we don't really know, and we know actually that not all polyps would develop into cancer, we don't have a way to know which ones would develop into cancer and which ones wouldn't. But uh, therefore, we we'll remove them all. And removing them all, uh, uh, we have good data showing that actually, yes, we have uh, uh, we decreases uh, uh, drastically the uh, incidence of colon cancers. So it's no question that some of those that we're removing would end up being cancer if left alone in that colon. Would the patient feel it if they were taking out these? Polyps. So uh, the colon is uh, is an interesting organ. It does feel uh, when we are stretching it. That's why we have the uh, f- uh, it, uh, that's how the uh, colon communicates to us that we need to go to the bathroom. Yet when we make a little cut, our colon does not feel a thing. It's not it's not primed to feel this kind of feeling. On top of that, we are doing the colonoscopy through. Uh, either uh, deep sedation or anesthesia. Therefore, it's even uh, uh, less painful. But again, just removing a polyp on itself because of the anatomy, and how we are uh, wired, we don't feel it.
1: Well, thank you, Dr. Uh, Laura. We're going to take a short break for a medical minute, and then we're going to come back to learn more about colonoscopy and risk factors for development of colon cancer. Uh, you're listening to Yale Cancer Center Answers, and I'm here tonight with Dr.
0: Xavier Lohr. Breast cancer is the most common cancer in women. In Connecticut alone, approximately 3,000 women will be diagnosed with breast cancer this year, and nearly 200,000 nationwide. But thanks to earlier detection, non-invasive treatments, and novel therapies, there are more options for patients to fight breast cancer than ever before. Women should schedule a baseline mammogram beginning at age 40 or earlier if they have risk factors associated with breast cancer. Clinical trials are currently underway at federally designated comprehensive cancer centers such as Yale Cancer Center and its Milo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven to make innovative new treatments available to patients. Digital breast tomosynthesis, or 3D mammography, is transforming breast screening by significantly reducing unnecessary procedures while picking up more cancers and eliminating some of the fear and anxiety many women experience. This has been a Medical Minute brought to you as a public service by Yale Cancer Center and Smilo Cancer Hospital at Yale New Haven. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Center Answers.
1: This is Dr. Howard Hoxter, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Dr. Xavier Lore. We're discussing colorectal cancer. So, uh, Xavier, you were telling us uh, just about the um, uh, what's involved with colonoscopy. Uh, and uh, you're, we said that you could do the um, biopsies. Nope, you wouldn't feel it. It's really more the... When air, you blow air in there that's uncomfortable uh, so uh, what what does a patient need to do to uh, obtain a colonoscopy and who should be getting colonoscopies for screening.
2: Sure. So starting with the end, uh, uh, basically everyone who has an average risk, meaning no family members with colon cancer, should be getting a colonoscopy starting at age fifty. If you are African American, uh, should be age forty-five. There's enough evidence showing that African Americans do develop colon cancer earlier. That's why we uh, want to screen them uh, sooner than the rest of the population.
1: Wait. So let me just repeat that. Everybody, no matter if if somebody in your family had colon cancer or never had colon cancer, no risks, once you turn 50, if you're Caucasian, you should go for a screening colonoscopy. And if you're African American, you should start at the age 45. And those are for people who have no other specific risk factors.
2: Exactly. When there's family history, other factors. That should be evaluated in a more specific way. Uh, so those uh, we were talking about were people who do not have any uh, special risk factors, as we were saying before.
1: And we know from studies that have been done, large randomized studies with 10 years of follow-up, whatever, that actually removing polyps prevents people from getting colon cancer. So colon cancer is largely a preventable disease today. We just need to get people to go for this test that nobody really wants to think about and they certainly don't want to consider the preparations for it and nobody likes to think about their colon, so... It's a little bit of a challenge for us. Um, what's what's what do people need to do about preparing for a colonoscopy? Is that something they should worry about?
2: Well, probably that's the toughest part, um, toughest um, uh, quote unquote, uh, because it is very important that we do when we do the colonoscopy. Colon is perfectly clean. If, we, if it's not clean, we can miss little polyps. So. Uh, 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 patients have to take a preparation, half of it the day before, half of it usually the day, uh, the same day of the procedure, and take, take several glasses every 10 minutes. But basically, the whole idea is really cleaning up that colon really well. So we make sure that we, when, do the, when we do the colonoscopy, we're not going to miss any little polyp. Uh, we can see everything.
1: So, I mean, if you're mostly clean, you can wash it off. Some stool on the wall, whatever, it's not so bad. But if there, you really need to get everything out, more or less, or most of it. If there's yes. still solid stool yep. in there, you're not going to be able to see. It's exactly. At obvious.
2: least everything liquid. If it's solid, it is a problem, and and, and it's very uncomfortable uh, to feel that we have not been able to see the colon well enough, and we have me mi- mi- we may have missed a lesion or a polyp that that's uh, we don't want to face that.
1: And so then, after the clean-out, they come to the uh, usually outpatient unit where you have a colonoscopy suite, whatever. And the next morning, uh, after they prepared, and, and
2: then it's done with sedation or anesthesia. Exactly, sedation so or anesthesia. So in general, it's a it's a very uh, uh, easy procedure, and you know, most patients tell us that the the hardest part was the preparation, not the procedure itself. Okay.
1: And so, and for then, the, that's who should get colonoscopy if you're kind of average risk. Who are the people who have higher risks of colon cancer today?
2: So. Um- About fifteen to twenty percent of uh, of individuals do have at least at least one uh, first degree relative with colon cancer. That puts you in a different category to start with. Uh, If uh, if the lifetime risk of developing colon cancer in the U.S. is about five percent, having a first degree relative puts you in a ten to fifteen percent lifetime risk. So it increases your risk significantly. That's why in general we'd recommend. Uh, sooner, uh, to start sooner with colonoscopies and actually do them more uh, often, every five years uh, instead of 10 years, uh, if there are no polyps, if there are polyps, then that uh, can vary. And of course, then there's... Wait, so,
1: wait, so if, sure. if you have a first degree relative, in other words, a parent or a brother or sister who had colon cancer, you sh- you're at a higher risk. And mm-hmm. you should go for colonoscopy. When's your first screening colonoscopy supposed to be done?
2: So it's usually uh, um, at age 45, or if the uh, if the family uh, member was relatively young, it would be 10 years before that uh, cancer was diagnosed, before the age of the, 10 years earlier than the age the cancer was diagnosed in the family member. So that's why we have to really customize that uh, screening to the particular circumstances of that family.
1: So if, again, if your parent or your brother or sister had colon cancer, you should go for screening colonoscopy starting at age 45, unless they were 50 or younger, then you might need to start at 40 or younger. Exactly. Okay. And and, and they have a higher risk. They need to do it a little bit more often. That's something the family should know about. Exactly. And there are there are other, you said 15 to 20% of colon cancer is familial-based or has a genetic risk factor associated with it. So what are some of those other right. families that need to be more concerned about the development of colon cancer?
2: Yeah, so if 15 to 20 is this group, uh, there's a, a smaller group, uh, about 5% of all colon cancers that those belong to what we call syndromes. Basically, what those are is that uh, different types of th- types of diseases that are due to a mutation in a particular gene that can be inherited from one family member to from one generation to next generation, and, uh, and so
1: so if you really like to blame your mother for everything that's wrong with you, in this case, you really can
2: absolutely okay. Um, it can be your father too. Oh, your father too. 50-50 <laughs> okay. chances. But bottom line is that those are the, uh, those are, uh, uh, cases that yet being a, 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 a not a, a large, uh, Portion of the of alcohol and cancers, they have they're very important because the cancer risk is extremely high in between 70 and and close to 100 percent, for instance, in polyposis syndromes. So uh, this group does deserve a very very uh, special care, and in many cases now the uh, the uh, genetic defects, the mutations in the genes have been identified. So actually, we can test family members and and uh, make the recommendations for. Um, for a a cancer screening to the individuals who have inherited the uh, mutation, and yet the individuals who have not inherited the mutation in that family, we can reassure them that the risk is not higher than average. So it really helps us a lot now. So the the
1: great thing is we can actually test the DNA of all the family, just take a swab from their mouth, and then if they don't have the gene mutation, if they didn't inherit it, they're the same as everyone else. Exactly. And if they do have it, we can watch them much more closely.
2: Exactly. And the beauty is that we have very good studies showing that uh, watching them closely and doing certain uh, uh, preventive uh, uh, procedures, uh, we do save a lot of lives in this particular family. So it's not by any means a death sentence to have a syndrome like this, where it really tells us that we, if we know who they have it, uh, diagnosing them is so important because we can make a huge difference in, their, in uh, how they'll do.
1: So one of the more rare ones is called FAP, is that right?
2: Familial adenomatous polyposis—that was actually the very first uh, uh, familial col- colorectal cancer uh, syndrome that was uh, identified, where individuals develop many, many, many polyps at very, very young ages, and if we don't remove the colon, basically almost everyone will develop colon cancer. This is not the most common one. The commonest one would be Lynch syndrome, and that's tougher to diagnose because these individuals do not develop a large number of polyps, and therefore it's very uh, the challenge is to distinguish them from the ones that uh, are what we call sporadic. Uh, but those are the most common uh, cases that are due to syndrome due to inherited genetic defects.
1: So amongst people who are at high risk for inherited genetic risk factors, the most common one for colon cancer is people who have Lynch syndrome. And they can get other kinds of cancers too, besides colon cancer. So, what do we what do we know about this Lynch syndrome?
2: Sure. So, um, so first of all, is that we sh- we don't like to call it colon cancer syndrome syndrome, as you said, is a multi cancer syndrome. There's a very high risk of endometrial cancer ovarian there's lots of other different uh, uh, risks or higher risk of developing cancer. It is, uh, it is uh, uh, inherited uh, from one generation to next generation, and you have fifty percent chances of inheriting the disease when mom or dad uh, are uh, carriers. Um, all you need is a mutation in one gene. You don't need to have the two, uh, what we call alleles. One always comes from mom, one comes from dad. In this case, we only need to have one that is mutated and that will develop into this, uh, will, will, uh, will be called uh, uh, the developing the syndrome. Uh, in general, again, the, the risk of cancer is high, and uh, there are some uh, preventive measures and tests that actually uh, are being performed in order to prevent those cancers in this family but the most important thing is the uh, diagnosing everyone who's susceptible to have them and do the right thing on them, um, and the outcomes are really very different.
1: What, what's the specific thing that people inherit that, that gives them this syndrome?
2: Right. So they inherit a mutation in, uh, in uh, one of the uh, genes called mismatch repair. So basically, our, uh, our uh, DNA, uh, uh, in, uh, the DNA uh, chains in our cells, they keep, Com, uh, constantly making copies of uh, DNA in our body so what happens is that because this process is very fast uh, our body does make mistakes on a regular basis but we do have a mechanism which is a, a group of proteins called mismatch repair proteins that what they do is basically they uh, uh, recognize some of the uh, uh, some of the mistakes that are made uh, uh, when we are making the DNA chains and basically recognize them they recruit other proteins and all of them work uh, together to fix those uh, those um, mistakes. So it's when, a little
1: bit like having spell check on your computer and autocorrect. Exactly. Goes in there, fixes a the spelling error.
2: Exactly. Uh, that's, I think, will be a very fair comparison. So when one of these genes uh, is mutated, uh, often what happens is that the protein that they usually produce is no longer produced, and this protein, they're therefore can do this uh, uh job of uh, of fixing those uh, uh mismatches what happens is that then the uh, mistake gets made and does not get repaired, and every time the uh, DNA chain make, keeps making new daughter chains, these mistakes keep reproducing over and over, and we end up generating a lots and lots of mutations that when they fall in genes that control cell growth, differentiation, then we end up developing into uh, cancer. So that's what happens with uh, with Lynch so syndrome.
1: So in these people with Lynch syndrome, we call it in the colon HNPCC, uh, they have a higher risk of colon cancer not everybody's going to get colon cancer for sure but they have a higher risk they need to have closer surveillance exactly and the, and there can be cancers in other organs but colon cancer is the main one right
2: Correct. colon and endometrial will be uh-huh. the main ones. colon in between seventy eighty percent studies vary uh, information varies a lot depending on studies looking at large populations versus studies from high risk clinics. but in general, uh, the highest risk would be for colon and for endometrial cancer
0: and
1: endometrial is from the lining of the uterus, so women need to be more concerned about that uh, yeah. obviously and um, so and that makes up how mu- what percent of colon cancer.
2: That would be between 3 and 5% of all colon cancer. So,
1: so most of colon cancer is still this kind of what we call sporadic. It just happens exactly. because the DNA starts to go bad and makes a polyp. And then mm-hmm. eventually, with time, the polyp turns into cancer. Correct. But the job of the gastroenterologist when they're doing the, col- uh, the colonoscopy for screening is to actually find the polyps and remove them. Correct. And, and then you won't get cancer at all. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, and uh, other other familial syndromes that people should be concerned about?
2: Sure. So, uh, this one, as we said before, uh, it's the most common uh, uh, colon cancer syndrome. But we also know of some uh, um, other colon cancer syndromes that look like Lynch, but we don't know what's causing them so there's a lot of research going on in those and then there are, so we mentioned briefly before the polyposis uh, we mentioned familial adenomatous polyposis but there are others like uh, uh, one called map which is MYH associated polyposis that's very that's different from the rest of the colon cancer and most um, um, cancer syndromes because this is what we call autosomal recessive so you need to inherit one damage uh, genetic copy from mom and one from dad in order to end up yeah. developing the disease. So that's much more rare. That's much more rare exactly.
0: Dr. Xavier Lohr is medical director of the colorectal cancer prevention program and co-director of the cancer genetics and prevention program at Yale School of Medicine. We invite you to share your questions and comments. You can send them to canceranswers at yale.edu or you can leave a voicemail message at 888 234 4YCC. And as an additional resource, archived programs are available in both audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We'd like to thank the Yale Cancer Center for providing production support for this program, and we'd also like to thank Renee Gaudette, Emily Fenton, and the staff of the Yale Broadcast and Media Center. I'm Bruce Barber, hoping you'll join us again next Sunday evening at 6 for another edition of Yale Cancer Center Answers here on WNPR, Connecticut's public media source for news and ideas.